Ephesians chapter 4 today is where we're going to be if you have a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. And we want to make sure that you can follow along with us. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. You can take that home and have a copy of God's Word that you can study on a daily basis. Ephesians chapter 4 today is where we're going to be. And we've been in a series the last several weeks that we've been calling Note to Self. And the reason we've been calling this series Note to Self is because we've been learning about our identity in the book of Ephesians. And uh, the book of Ephesians has so much to say about who we are and what we were created to do. And so this really is a note to self, understanding who we are and uh, why God created us. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. And if you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? Ephesians 4, we'll start reading in verse 17. We left it off last week in verse 16. So verse 17, where the Bible says this. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth from here on out walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as, I love this phrase, the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. For a few minutes today, I'd like to speak to this subject. Keep the change. Keep the change. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in today. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we can come together on the Lord's Day and celebrate your resurrection, celebrate the new life that we have in you. And Lord, I pray that we would find words of encouragement and words of hope in your word today, words of exhortation. Lord, I pray that if there's any part of this text that would challenge us or convict us, Lord, I pray that we would be receptive to making the changes that you want us to make. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us over the next few minutes in a powerful way and that you would be glorified and magnified through it all. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said this morning, how many of you have ever wanted to change something about yourself? Anybody like that? You wanted to change something? I remember when I was in elementary school, I desperately wanted to be taller. I wanted to change that about myself. And somebody told me the classic line that if you were to hang from the monkey bars, you would kind of stretch out a little bit. And so I'm sad to say that on a couple of occasions when all my friends were out playing at recess, I was just hanging on the monkey bars, just hoping that I would stretch out and become taller. And uh, we live in a world that often is desperate for change. I was reading about this man in the Philippines that wanted to look more like his childhood uh, hero, which was Superman. And so I believe we have a picture this morning. He, he had over 19 surgeries 
over 16 years to become more like Superman. He even injected himself with illegal fillers to give himself abs of steel. And so he has spent uh, thousands of dollars over the years trying to implement this change. Okay, we can take the picture away. It's distracting this morning. And we live in a culture that desires change. You know, some change is shallow and superficial, and it's just kind of cosmetic by nature. Some change is actually sinful when it goes against the Word of God and God's pattern and God's design uh, in which He created us. Uh, But then, of course, there are other times when change in our lives is absolutely good and healthy and beneficial for us. Uh, There are times when we need to change the way that we think. We need to put on the mind of Christ and be renewed in our mind, and we need to not think like the world thinks, and we need to not be stuck in anxiety or in uh, tempting thoughts, but change the way that we think. Sometimes we need to change a bad habit that we've implemented into our lives or uh, change a bad attitude that we have, and so sometimes in our lives, change is absolutely necessary. Uh, That's why every year at New Year's Day, uh, millions of people will make New Year's resolutions. How many of you are a New Year's resolution setter? Anybody like that? Uh, wow. <laughs> Look around the room today, okay? Uh, how many of you would say, I don't do that? I'm not into that. And uh, the other day, Seth and I, were, we were talking about this in the office. We were having a debate. And I'm kind of on the side of making some New Year's resolutions. And Seth is on the side where you don't really need to because he's not concerned with spiritual growth and making change for the better. And so I'm just joking. He, he is for that. Just joking this morning. And, uh, and we were kind of talking about this, you know, and I like to establish some New Year's goals and resolutions. And, you know, the frustrating part about that is inevitably, and of course, uh, three weeks in, we find ourselves kind of just doing the same old things that we were doing three weeks uh, prior to that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And it can be very frustrating because you want to implement change and you want to uh, see change in your life. But often we just kind of fall back into the same old patterns. The same old lifestyles because we are often creatures of habit. Now, we come to Ephesians chapter 4 today, and Paul is going to talk about this this change uh, that that we can experience in Jesus Christ. By the way, the greatest change that you could ever experience is at the moment of salvation. When you give your life to Christ, you will be changed from the inside out. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are transformed Uh, In that moment, Uh, my son Luke, the other day at school, he was learning about the word metamorphosis. And he thought that word was pretty cool. He kind of just kept on talking about metamorphosis and that process of transformation. And then he heard about the story of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament and how Saul became Paul. And he said, Dad, uh, Paul had a metamorphosis. And, uh, And that's exactly right. Aren't you thankful that we've had a spiritual metamorphosis, that we have been saved and redeemed by the blood of God, and he has set us free? And so we have this change that salvation, but here's the reality. The reality is, is even though we have been changed at the moment of salvation and we have been delivered from the penalty of sin and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe that we can get victory over the power of sin. While we're still here on this earth, we still deal with the presence of sin. And so we struggle and we fall short and we often are in this space where we want to see change and we want to get rid of this attitude that we have. And I don't want to think this way and I don't want to feel this way. And I wish I could get victory over this area, but I can't seem to keep the change. And so the question that I want us to consider for a few minutes today is not how can we change, but how can we keep the change? 
How can we experience lasting resolution? And how can we stand firm in the decisions that God wants us uh, to make? Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, he had this struggle where he wanted to implement change, but he just seemed like he couldn't get uh, this victory. And he says this in Romans chapter 7, in verse number 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. He says, to will, is, the, the will is there. How many of you have ever had the will to make a positive change for the better? You wanted to do that. He says, the will is there. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So he says, I want to make this change. I want to experience victory, but sometimes I don't know how to keep the change. I don't know how to keep it there. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that... I do. Do you sense the frustration in the Apostle Paul in those verses? He says, those good things that I want to do, I don't end up doing them. And the things that I know that I shouldn't do, those are the things that I end up uh, doing. I want to implement change. I want to experience victory. But I'm struggling to keep the change. I'm struggling to grow. I'm, I'm struggling to get victory over this Sin in my life. And if you keep reading the chapter, he says, how will I ever experience victory? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm thankful that the victory is found in the name of Jesus. And so Paul says, I can get victory. And so back in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's going to talk about this. He's going to talk about this new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, by definition, new life should look very different than old life. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about this new life that we have and how it's uh, contrasted and very different than the old life. And I believe that in these verses, the Apostle Paul is going to give us a few keys to lasting change. And so if you are interested today and you want to grow and experience victory and experience lasting change in your life, I want to encourage you to lean into this text today. And if you're taking notes, I want to give us three keys to lasting change. Are you ready for them this morning? Number one, you have to refuse to blend in. Often people are not experiencing lasting change because they're not willing to stand out and to get out of their comfort zone. And so Paul is going to challenge us to refuse to blend in. Let's pick up our text in verse number 17. If you can see it, would you say amen? amen. Verse 17, he says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth from here on out walk not. So don't walk this way. Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. He says, uh, you can't walk as other Gentiles walk. What is he talking about? He's talking about those Gentiles that have not received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, those that have not um, uh, placed their faith in Jesus. In other words, he's talking about someone that's lost. He, he's talking about a, a worldly way of life. Someone that, uh, someone that is not having a relationship with Jesus. And so he says, don't walk according to that lifestyle. In, in other words, you are called to be different. You are called to stand out. Uh, my neighbor... They used to have this chameleon, this lizard, and uh, we would go out sometimes and the kids would like to look at uh, this chameleon and here's some pictures of different chameleons. And of course, uh, what a chameleon is known for is that it can adapt to these different environments and a chameleon can change kind of the color of its skin so it'll blend in. And uh, here is the reality often for followers of Jesus is that we live this sort of chameleon Christianity where we blend into whatever environment that we're in. 
we go to work and we just kind of blend in and we talk how everyone at work talks and we go to church and we blend in and we talk how people at church talk and then we go home and we kind of just do what we do at home and every environment and every atmosphere that we're in, we kind of change and adapt and blend in. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, walk not as other Gentiles walk. In other words, you should be walking differently, refuse to blend in. Now, he's going to describe life without Christ. In the next few verses that we're going to study, he's going to describe what this looks like uh, for someone to be living according to a kind of a, a, a humanist or a worldly perspective. He's going to give a description of this, and it can be characterized by three things uh, in our text today. First, life without Christ, it's aimless, aimless. Notice what it says in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity, keyword, vanity of their mind. The word vanity means to be void or to be empty. I read that back in 2017. There were 38 girls in the United States that were named vanity. And so if you're searching for baby names today, I don't know if I would recommend that, but that's just 38 girls, vanity. It means to be void or empty. Curtis Vaughn said this, the thought is not that the unregenerate mind, so an unregenerate mind is, is someone that's not been born again. Someone that's not saved. The thought is not that the unregenerate minds are empty. It's that they are filled with things that lead to nothing. And so a lost person, of course, it's not, we're not saying that they don't have intellectual capacity. Uh, we're not saying that there's nothing there. Uh, but they are often chasing things that lead to nothing. Uh, they are pursuing things that will ultimately be vanity. Pursuing things that will ultimately lead to emptiness. It's what Solomon talked about in Ecclesiastes, those that chase the wind. I'm pursuing something in life that I think might bring me satisfaction, but at the end of the day, uh, you will not find ultimate fulfillment and ultimate satisfaction apart from Jesus. Can, can I tell you today that sex will never bring ultimate fulfillment? And yet people are pursuing it all the time, hoping to find some sort of pleasure that will last. Can I tell you that no dollar amount will ever lead you to ultimate fulfillment? Can I tell you that no career path will ultimately lead you to that kind of fulfillment? And yet so many people on a daily basis, they are chasing after those things and pursuing after those things. And Paul says, ultimately, it's aimless because it's going to lead to vanity. You know, Ernest Hemingway, he famously said that life is a dirty trick. It's a journey from nothingness to nothingness. He says, we're just chasing things. And what does it really matter? We can try to find temporary pleasure and temporary satisfaction, but it's just going to leave us feeling empty, and we're going to end up dying, and it's a journey from nothingness to nothingness. We just go back to the dirt, and so many people today, they're pursuing and chasing after things that will leave them feeling empty, but Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4 in that city of Samaria, he says, what you need is a drink from the living water, and one drink from the living water, and you will never be thirsty again. I'm so thankful that ultimate satisfaction is found in the person of Jesus Christ. When we are connected to him, we will find that fulfillment that often our heart is longing for. And so Paul says, Paul says, man, a worldly lifestyle, someone without Christ, first it's aimless. It leads to vanity, leads to emptiness. But not only is it aimless, it's sightless. Because notice what it says in verse 18. Verse 18 says this, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. And so apart from Christ, you're sightless. That's why, if you remember the verse that says the natural man, speaking of the person that hasn't yet had a relationship with Jesus Christ, the natural man receiveth not the things of God. 
that the natural man can't fully understand the scripture and to, you know, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to, to those that uh, don't know Jesus Christ. And so it, it's sightless. It's like trying to enjoy the beautiful sunset while blindfolded. You're not going to be able to fully understand what's in front of you. And so he says, life apart from Christ, it's aimless, but it's also sightless. But then he gives this third description, and it's, it's a life that's shameless. Notice it in verse number 19. You still with me today? It says, who being past feeling. This is a dangerous place to be in life. When you come to a place where you are past feeling, when you no longer care, when you're no longer concerned, when you're not doing what God wants you to do, and you know it, and you're not concerned about it. You're past feeling. It says, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness. That's a word that we might not often use, but the word lasciviousness simply means a sin that flaunts itself. In some other words, it's a sin that we're proud of. We glory in it. By the way, this is what's taking place often in our culture today. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we're glorying in our shame. We're living in a society filled with sin, and we're no longer trying to cover up that sin even. Often we are glorying and proud of that sin. That's the word lasciviousness, a sin that flaunts itself. But then he says, uh, to work all uncleanness. The word uncleanness in the Greek carries the idea of sexual impropriety. And so here he's talking about sexual sin. And by the way, uh, those two words are often connected. Often there is no shame when it, when it comes to the sexuality that is being uh, constantly infiltrated into our culture. Uh, it's just all the time. It's prevalent. It's everywhere. And uh, there's no shame. And he says, uh, with greediness. The word greed means an insatiable desire. And so this is often how the world's living just with no shame, with just trying to fulfill my desires and trying to do whatever is going to make me happy. Uh, Paul talked about the same thing in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He said, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have for an example, so you can have an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and I'll tell you even weeping, he's heartbroken, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. So someone whose God is their belly, that means that they are idolizing their own appetite. Like whatever my desire is, whatever I uh, want to pursue that's going to make me feel good, that has become the God of my life. And so whose God is their belly, and then watch this, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. They're glorying, glorying in things that they should be ashamed of. Can I encourage us as a church family that we should never lose our spiritual ability to blush? To stay sensitive to sin. To never come to a place like verse number 19 where we're past feeling. Where we just don't care anymore. Uh, the other day, a couple months ago now, our family was at Ontario Mills. And uh, we wanted to get some shoes for the kids uh, before school. And so we went to Ontario Mills. We went to the Under Armour store. And we came out of there. And as we were coming out of the Under Armour store, we saw that there were three individuals coming out of the Nike store. And how many of you have been to that entrance at Ontario Mills right there where those two stores are? You know what I'm talking about? And so we were kind of standing right there. And there was three individuals coming out of the Nike store. And they were coming out with three trash bags just filled with merchandise that they were just stealing. And they just loaded it up. And what I thought was so interesting about this, I've been in many environments and seen people shoplift and seen people take things, but, but something interesting took place where they had all of these things in their bags, where they had and they were walking as nonchalantly as you could possibly walk. They weren't wearing masks. They weren't trying to cover their identity. People were taking pictures of them. 
the security guard was following them on a little Segway thing like Paul Blart. He was kind of just following along, and uh, he was watching this happen. And, and I was watching this whole thing happen. My kids are there. They're watching it, and they were just nonchalantly walking out, people taking pictures. They walked all the way to their car, put the stuff in their car, and they just drove away. See, they were at a place that is past feeling. There's no conviction. There's no guilt. And Paul says that is a very dangerous place to be. And even as followers of Jesus, we need to make sure that we are staying sensitive to sin, even sin that we might not think is a big deal. We have to stay sensitive and not have a hard heart and a seared conscience. You know, remember the time when David was living life on the run and Saul was trying to kill him in the Old Testament? Do you remember this? And uh, uh, David was on the run. He goes to this cave and he's hiding out in the cave because Saul the king is wanting to kill him because he's jealous of David and David was supposed to be the next king. And so David goes to this cave and he's hiding out with his mighty men. And then it just so happens that Saul and his men came and found this cave, didn't know David was in there, and they go to sleep uh, in that cave for the night. And then all David and his mighty men are like, David, this is your chance. You can kill uh, Saul. Uh, you can, that God has delivered the enemy into your hand, David. Go ahead, take him out now. Now is your chance. Now is your opportunity uh, to get victory. But notice what happens uh, in the text. This is 1 Samuel 24, verse number 4. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. think is right, David. Go ahead and do it. And so then David arose, and he cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And so Saul was sleeping. He didn't know that David was there. And so David decides not to kill him. He's like, I'm not going to murder him, but I'm going to go and I'm going to cut off a little piece of his skirt, of his robe, so that I can show Saul that I had the opportunity to kill him, but I didn't do it. So that's all he did. So he goes over and he cuts it off. But then it says this, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. David is overwhelmed with this sense of conviction, not that he killed Saul, but that he touched the Lord's anointed. Yeah. And David thought, how could I do this? And his heart smote him. What David is demonstrating is a soft heart before the Lord. And often what we don't demonstrate is when it comes to sin in our lives, we are experts at maximizing the sins of others and minimizing our own sins. It's not that big of a deal if I do. This is not that big of a deal. It's one little white lie. It's one little this. It's one little that. But we have to be careful that we don't come to a place that's past feeling. And so Paul is describing life without Christ. It's sightless. It's aimless. And it's shameless. And he's saying, hey, uh, we are to come out from among them. We are to live differently. Refuse to blend in. Now, this leads us to our second thought today if you're taking notes. We have to, secondly, remain anchored to the truth. Remain anchored to the truth. Notice what our text says in verse number 20. But you have not so learned Christ. He says, that's how the world is living. But you have learned Christ. There is this sharp contrast between verses 17 and 19, uh, 17 through 19 and verse number 20. He says, you have learned Christ. He is reminding them of their education in Jesus Christ. He's reminding them about what they've learned and observed about Jesus. You are called to be different. Now, in the Bible, it talks to the husbands in 1 Peter, and it says husbands. In fact, if you're a husband in the room today, can you say amen? There it is. And so the Bible talks to uh, the husbands and says, husbands, you are to dwell with your spouse according to knowledge. Okay? So husbands are called to, I'm just talking to husbands for a second, okay? So husbands, you're called to dwell with your spouse, to remain with your spouse, to, to dwell, to live 
with your spouse. You can't dwell with your spouse if you're constantly prioritizing your work over your home. To remain, to dwell with your spouse. But then it says to dwell with your spouse according to knowledge. That means it's my responsibility as a husband to dwell, to remain with my spouse, with Katie, and to learn Katie, to dwell with her according to knowledge. And so I'm supposed to know the ins and outs of Katie. I'm supposed to dwell with her according to knowledge. Now, if someone asks me about my wife, Katie, and says, hey, can you tell me about her? What I would not do is I would not just list off some facts about Katie. I wouldn't say, oh, well, she's five, five and a half, and she has blue eyes and brown hair, and she was born in 1989. Uh, That's not what I would say about my wife, Katie. I would say she is loving, and she is fun, and she is funny, and she is authentic, and I'm hoping she's listening to this sermon so I can get some brownie points. And I, I would describe her personality, and I would describe who she is and what makes Katie, Katie, not just facts about her, but who she is. Often the struggle for Christians is we know many facts about God, but we don't cultivate a personal relationship with him. We can quote verses with the best of them. We can say, well, God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And we can know some facts about God. But did you notice that Paul said the Ephesian church learned Christ? They learned Jesus. Now, now please don't miss this. Because I could say what I'm about to say, and then I could uh, put the mic down and leave, because I believe this is the most important part of this message. That is this. If you want to experience lasting change in your life, if you want to keep the change, if you want to experience spiritual victory, the greatest way that you can do that in your life is to learn Christ, is to know Jesus. We can talk about accountability. We can talk about programs. We can talk about small groups. We can talk about books. We can talk about podcasts. We can talk about so many helpful, good resources. But the greatest way to get victory is to have a real relationship with Jesus and to pursue that relationship with Jesus. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 15, in verse number four, abide in me, remain in me. Just like a husband is supposed to dwell with his spouse, we are to remain with Jesus and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of, ex- uh, fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except you abide in me. Jesus says, you want to experience change? You want to experience positive fruit? You want to experience victory? Then abide, remain in me. Are we cultivating our relationship with Jesus? We have to remain anchored to him. In fact, notice what it says in verse number 21. He says, if so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. He's reminding them of their education in Jesus, and he's saying, I want to remind you, the truth that you're searching for, it's in Jesus. Now, this is important because we live in a world and a culture that talks about truth all the time. Uh, We talk about your truth. We talk about my truth. We talk about post-truth culture. We talk about alternate truth. We talk about alternate facts. We talk about so many different ways that we can subjectivize what the truth is. But here's a little nugget that we should tuck away from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. The truth is in Jesus. And I'm thankful for this today. When we are trying to navigate a deep fake world and a world uh, with chat GPT and artificial intelligence, and we are trying to ascertain what is true, we need to recognize that the truth is in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we are anchored to the truth, the truth will set us free. So we have to recognize today that if we are anchored to the truth, 
that when the storms of life come and we are trying to figure out what's going on in the world today, that we're not going to be uh, uh, blown away by the winds of culture that is happening today, but we are going to remain anchored to the truth, and the truth is found in Jesus. By the way, A.W. Tozer said this, the unattended garden will soon be overrun with weeds. The heart that fails to cultivate truth and root out error will shortly be a theological wilderness. This is an important warning for the church because even many that would claim Christianity and profess the name of Jesus, they are professing something that they do not practice. And there are many people, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus warned us to pay attention and to seek out and to discern false prophets and test the spirits. And so we have to recognize today, okay, the enemy is trying to deceive. The enemy is trying to trap, uh, even, even infiltrate the church today. And so we have to remember the truth is in Jesus, and I'm going to remain anchored to that truth. Now, we refuse to blend in. We remain anchored to the truth. Here's the third thought today, and we'll be done. You ready for number three? We replace the old with the new. You want to keep the change? You've got to replace the old with the new. Notice verse number 22. It says this. That you put off, all right? So Paul's going to kind of dive into this analogy that he's used several times. In fact, I think last year we did a verse-by-verse study through the book of Colossians, and Paul used the same analogy. There are some things you need to put off, some things you need to put on. He uses this illustration of putting on Christ, these spiritual garments. It's, the, the illustration is that of clothing, okay? So he says, verse number 22, put off concerning the former conversation the old man and so put off like a dirty old soiled garment that you just can't wait to change your clothes and get that garment off you he says put off the old lifestyle verse 23 and be renewed in the spirit of your mind change uh, the holy spirit changes the way that we think and then verse 24 and that you put on the new man okay so we put off the old we put on the new what gets removed must get replaced a lot of times why we struggle is we think, well, I can't do this, and I can't think this way, and I, I have all these bad habits, and so we put off and we remove, but then we fail to replace whatever we've removed. So we put off, and then we put on, verse 24, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And so here's the illustration. Put on this new garment in Christ. We're a new creature, we're a new creation, and we have a new responsibility that is attached to our new identity. For example, if a soldier in the military puts on his uniform, that uniform symbolizes an identity, and associated with that identity is responsibility. And so as followers of Jesus, when we put on Christ and we recognize our new identity, that should also cause us to recognize, accompanied with this new identity, I have a new responsibility to, to follow the words of the Lord and to do what God has called me to do. Now, I'm going to ask uh, Dan to come over here for a second, and he's going to help me illustrate this. So, Dan, you come over here. Let's give it up for Dan this morning. Dan this morning, he's wearing a prison jumpsuit. And when I was thinking about this illustration, I thought of Dan, that I needed to use him for this illustration today. And uh, imagine someone getting released from prison and deciding that even though they, they can now walk in freedom and they're released from prison, imagine that person deciding that they're just going to continue to wear the prison jumpsuit. And no, no matter where Dan went, he's going to the grocery store. Hey, how's it going? He's going to the check the mailbox and he's still wearing his jumpsuit. Hey, how's it going? And he's still associating with that old life. No, if someone gets released from prison, one of the first things they want to do is to remove that garment and to put on something new. 
And here's what we have to understand today, that when we prayed and received Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were given new life in Christ, we were given new identity in Christ, and so therefore, we don't have to associate with our past any longer, we don't have to stay stuck in our chains any longer, we don't have to stay bound to our sin any longer, we can experience and walk in the freedom that is found in the name of Jesus. And so we don't have to live according to our old life. It's out with the old and it's in with the new. And so many people today, they have prayed a prayer and they've said that they are followers of Jesus and yet they are still living according to their old life. And Paul is saying, now's the time to implement lasting change. You can put off the old, you can put on the new. You can walk in the freedom that God has for you. This is the greatest change that the world has ever known. The change that takes place at the moment of salvation. But then we also have to recognize that we have a responsibility to put off and to put on because we still struggle with sin. And so Paul's gonna talk about this in these few concluding verses. Thank you, Dan. Let's give it up for Dan one more time this morning. And so as we close today, we're almost done, but I wanna kind of shotgun the last few verses and give several practical implications and applications, okay? Uh, Paul's gonna get very practical. How many of you are a practical person? You wanna, not very abstract, you're practical. Paul's gonna give some very practical applications. And so what I wanna do in these few concluding verses is quickly, I wanna give us five spiritual garments that we should put on. Five spiritual garments that we need to put on. Put on. Okay, let, let's notice the first one. We have to put off lying and put on truth telling. Notice what it says in verse 25. Wherefore, put away lying, Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. According to a recent study by Cornell University, approximately 80% of people that have an online dating profile lie on that online dating profile. 80% of people. According to another study that was done, 68% uh, of undergraduates admitted to cheating on tests or assignments at least one time. And so we are living in a world where it's becoming easier and easier to tell a little white lie. And we kind of have this general understanding that if a little white lie can get you ahead, then go ahead and do it. But can I remind you that in Proverbs, when it lists the six things that the Lord hates, number two on the list is a lying tongue. I believe that God honors those that walk with integrity. And so Paul says, hey, this new life, you've got to put off lying. You've got to, you've got to put on truth telling. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. It creates uncomfortable conversation but we're called to put on the truth. Next, here's the second garment. Put off anger and put on righteous anger. There's a major difference between anger and righteous anger. Notice what it says in our text, verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So we don't just fly off the handle and have a short temper. We don't just get angry and, and live a life of anger towards people, but we do have a right be angry and sin not uh, because we are angry with sin and we are angry with the sinful uh, uh, consequences and collateral that we're seeing in our world today so there is this this righteous anger that Jesus uh, demonstrated this righteous indignation and so we put off anger we put on righteous anger number three we put off stealing and we put on giving notice what it says in verse 28 neither let in that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may, uh, that he may have to give to him that needeth. I read another study recently that talked about hotel rooms, and 87% uh, of these people uh, in this study said that they have stolen something from a hotel room once in their lifetime. 
and uh, there was a lot of conviction in this area in the first service today. Uh, about a quarter of Americans, 26%, commit petty hotel theft during every single stay. Just stealing towels and, and uh, Seth, is, Seth is saying, not me this morning, looking over at him. And uh, now here's the truth. Maybe you've never robbed from a hotel. Maybe you've never robbed uh, from a bank. But there are many different ways that we can steal what rightfully belongs to the Lord. Malachi the prophet said, wherewith have you robbed God? And none of us would say, I want to rob God. I'm not going to, you know, come in and reach in the offering plate and just steal from the Lord. But he says, you've robbed God in the fact that you have not been giving your tithes and offerings. And so he says, be, be careful that you are not unintentionally taking what belongs to the Lord. By the way, often what we do is we steal glory that belongs to the Lord. God's given us, given us a gift or an ability to do something. And then when someone congratulates us, it's, oh, thank you. Yeah, I am pretty good. Yeah, I am pretty awesome. Did you know that glory belongs to the Lord? And so we have to be very careful that we're not living a life of theft, but rather we're living a life of generosity. It's not about what I can take and what's in it for me, but how can I bless others and how can I serve others and how can I sacrifice for others? He says, put off stealing and put on generosity. Here's the next one. Put off corrupt talk and put on edifying talk. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. The word edifying means to build up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. We talked about that in week number two of this series, that we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. But he says practically here, he says, put off corrupt talk. Every Christmas growing up, uh, my dad would always make all the kids sit down and we would have to watch the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you watched the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? How many of you have never seen it? This Christmas, you gotta see it, okay? New, new tradition. And the movie, It's a Wonderful Life came out in 1946. And did you know that that movie was censored? Because it said words like this, lousy. And this, this word, jerk. And so the movie was censored because of these words. I thought about that and I thought, I don't even want to read some of the lyrics that are in the music charts today. Safe to say it's a whole lot more degenerate than the word lousy and the word jerk. But often we are consuming all kinds of corrupt content and garbage in, garbage out. And we are consuming all kinds of content that leads to corrupt communication. By the way, corrupt communication isn't just cursing or a crude joke. Corrupt communication could be gossip. Hey, have you heard? No, I haven't. Tell me. And we can perpetuate gossip and slander and promote division and disunity. And Paul says, you've got to put off corrupt talk and you've got to put on words of edification. Make sure that you are using your words, not as bullets to bring people down, but bricks to build people up and use your words as words of encouragement and life giving uh, words to the people that are in your life. Uh, you can do that online. You can do that through a note, through a text message, but think about it in your life. When was the last time I went out of my way to give words of edification for someone else. You know, I'm going to build that person up. I can make them feel guilty. I can make them feel bad, but I, I want to encourage them. I want to put life into them. And then this leads us to our last one. Here's the last spiritual garment that we need to put on. Put off bitterness and put on kindness. Notice it in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another. Tenderhearted forgiving one another. Aristotle, he defined bitterness this way, the resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. 
someone that is resentful, that not interested in reconciliation. You know, bitterness, bitterness is so difficult to deal with because bitterness is a beneath the surface issue. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 that it's the root of bitterness that springs up, a root. A root is, the, is beneath the surface. And so often we can come to church, we can go to small group, we can talk to people and we can put a smile on and everything looks fine. But on the inside, we're drinking poison because bitterness is a self-contaminating disease. When we refuse to do our part to offer some sort of reconciliation, by the way, I recognize that forgiveness is a decision, but reconciliation is a process. And so just because you can forgive someone doesn't mean that you trust them again. And so you have to have wisdom to recognize, okay, I can forgive 70 times seven. I can forgive because that's what Jesus commanded me. In fact, I can forgive the inexcusable in someone else because Christ has forgiven the inexcusable in me. But then reconciliation often takes time. I can forgive you, but it doesn't mean I trust you right away. But often bitterness is destroying us from the inside out because there is that heart that refuses reconciliation. So he says, put off bitterness, uh, put on kindness. And then he says this at the end of verse 32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Watch this. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And this is what it's all about this morning. Charles Burton said this, God for Christ's sake hath forgiven thee. Get a hold of that grand truth and hold it, though all the devils in hell roar at thee. Grasp it as with a hand of steel, grip it as for life, God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven me. May each one of us be able to say that. We shall not feel the divine sweetness and force of the text unless we can make a personal matter of it by the Holy Ghost. Grab hold of it. God, because of Jesus, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And that leads us to the question today simply, very simply today, have you been forgiven? Have you experienced the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers? And I want to read one more verse today. And as we close and as we read this verse, I want to encourage you to stay tuned in with me. But would you join me in standing as we read this last verse? Acts chapter 10, verse number 43 says this. To him, that's Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name, what name is that? The name of Jesus, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins, shall receive the forgiveness of sins. Can I tell you that that is the greatest transformation, that is the greatest change that anyone could ever experience by believing on the name of Jesus Christ and you will be forgiven of your sins, past, present, future. This is the good news of the gospel. And so today, if you've never placed your faith in him, if you've never believed on his name, I'm not talking about what your parents did, I'm not talking about your education or your upbringing, but if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today can be the day of salvation for you and you can experience and receive the forgiveness of your sins and walk in the newness of life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today as we close.